Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Today, Sunday afternoon, we're very excited to have Mina Java Herbin here to read from my grandma and me uh, with beautiful illustrations by Lindsay Yankee. Uh, in a true tale of a young girl in Iran and her grandmother, this beautiful ode to family celebrates the way small moments of love become lifelong memories. Uh, Mina has written several award-winning picture books, including Soccer Star and Goal, which we have today on sale. And she lives right by the beach in Southern California. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Mina, and I uh, immigrated to United States from Iran about 40 years ago. Um, the reason I came here is because my country was taken over by Islamic um, dictatorship fanatic, fanaticism in the religion. There are uh, many religions in the world, and um, there are many people who like the fanatic aspects of their religion, and most of us are not like that. Uh, gratefully, and that's what the make what makes the world go round. Um, Forty years ago, if you would tell me that I would immigrate to United States and become an author, and uh, then write a book about my Islamic grandma, uh, I would say that's never going to happen. Um, but uh, there is a, a saying that is uh, attributed to Voltaire, and um, I am not one of those people who memorizes sayings um, so uh, loosely. It is, um, and it is attributed to him, but it's not really what he said. Um, it says, um, you get to a point in your life that you um, create a space for your enemy to speak their mind. And this is how we understand people who don't think like we do by becoming the enemy the way they think and by really listening to what they're saying and why they're saying that. Uh, when I was um, about seven or eight years old, um, my uh, grandma who lived with us was a devout uh, Muslim and I lived in a family of secular uh, mom and dad that never even went to the mosque and they sent me to a Catholic school in Iran because the Catholic school was the school that had um, English and Italian and French in the curriculum and my dad wanted me to pick um, English as a second language. And they we studied Persian from 8 o'clock in the morning till noon. And then the sisters will heat up the lunches we took in a gorgeous, gorgeous canteen. And we ate warm, nice food. And after that, there was a little bit of reading time. And English instruction began from 1 o'clock to 4 in the afternoon. So... Uh, sometimes I tell my mom, geez, you were rid of uh, your kids from 7 a.m. till 
about five and she smiles ear to ear. But <laughs> it was a good education. Um, my uh, parents were um, middle class and they brought themselves up to upper middle class. They were from a very affluent family which lost all their money and they pulled themselves back up again in life. Um, but the only thing that they actually bought my sister and I and later my brother was education and travel. Um, I remember I had two uniforms for my Catholic school. I had a couple of pairs of shoes, two or three dresses for going out, um, one very, very nice pair of shoes. I remember it was a Charles Jordan, um, and my mom re replaced it all the time for me once, once or twice every year. And we had a gorgeous house with a beautiful swimming pool, but we were not spoiled brats. We were uh, very um, polite and very considerate of people. And the biggest thing my father always told me is that hopefully the world will become a place where everyone will be able to go to the doctor when they're sick. And people, it makes me cry. And people who don't have a home will always, hopefully, will be able to have a shelter and a home in their life. And this is um, the education of a girl that lived in the, in the upper part of the town in Tehran with a gorgeous, beautiful house with two servants and a large swimming pool, which everybody hated us for, <laughs> but, but also loved us for because we invited everyone and our house was always open and the food was always on the table for everyone. And there was love and the love, um, the basis of the love in our family was my grandma, the devout Muslim witch always told my dad, oh, I wish you didn't drink alcohol and I wish you guys, you guys did pray, but we didn't. And she she was fine with that too because she had love. When you have love and Donald Trump opens his mouth and says something, you don't have to attack and kill him or anybody else who attacks and kill us. We need to understand that. We need to listen to who he's talking to, why he's saying what he's saying, and what can we do if we are smarter than him. This is what love teaches us, and this is what my grandma taught us. Um, and she just loved everyone. She, I mean, and my, my, my dad used to get mad at us sometimes, and his form of punishment was to take his uh, flip-flops off and throw it at us. And I always knew I, I could hide behind grandma. And um, growing up, um, she lived with us because her husband passed away a long time ago. And she became an orphan at age of five. And she was married off at the age of nine. But my grandma knew how to read and write. Not only she knew how to read and write, her father knew how to read and write. That is 120 years ago when less than 13% of the people of the world could read and write. My grandma and her, her parents, who died within an, um, a year or two of each other, she, um, the, I don't think they taught her how to read and write, but the older brothers and sisters knew that since they know how to read and write, now we're going to teach our little sister as well. And they did. And I think 
the, the way that she could read and write, and of course her prayers and her God helped her a lot in the life that she had. Um, because later in life, um, she had many, many challenges. Um, and my father, who um, her fa- his father was a, uh, a well-off and well-to-do um, guy from a very well-off family in the bazaar of Esfahan. Um, he lost all the money, and my dad had to go to, to work in the morning when he was in his, you know, after elementary school, and then he had to go um, to school at night, and then when he was about 17 or 18, he said, I need to learn English as well. This is the mindset of a worldly person that lives in Iran. So everyone is in Iran is not a fanatic person or a Muslim even because our next door neighbor were Christians. There's lots of Christians in Iran who are Armenians and Armenia used to be a part of the Persian Empire and these people never moved or some of them came after the genocides and wars. They immigrated to Iran and settled there and they, they call it their own their own country. And also, in the city of Esfahan, where my dad is from, there was a huge settlement of Jews because these are the Jews who were who were housed by Cyrus the Great. They came thousands of years ago, and Cyrus said to them, you can live here, this is your homeland, as long as you want. And you are Persians, and you are Jews, and we respect your religion. So it's funny because 3,000 years ago in Iran, there was a freedom of religion <laughs> and there's a Cyrus. Um, the great um, had um, a, um, a, a cylinder that's written on it that everybody can practice their own culture, custom, and definitely their own religion. But they are part of the Persian Empire and we are all together. And if anything happens to the nation of to our nation of nations, we are the central government of Pars, Parse or Persia will take care of you. Um, the founding fa- fathers of America, they all have a little tiny notebook in their pocket and they actually um, point out to it. It is called Cyropedia. And um, it's not it's not amazing because Iran was a state of states. Um, it had many states of different cultures, languages, and people with different religions. And that's how there was Persian Empire. Of course, remember that I keep saying was and was and was. It's important to read history. Let's see how a nation like that w- was perished. How did they go away? And there's so many similarities between America and Persian Empire. It's it's unbelievable how they both op- operated. And um, the we have states, and they had satraps. Each state of Iran were called satraps, and they there were about forty satraps in Iran. We have fifty one or fifty states. Um, so fifty states and one Commonwealth, which is Puerto Rico. It's not Mexico. <laughs> They're not Mexican in Puerto Rico, as people think. Um, as some people, half America, half of America thinks that people. Come on. So um, this is the little background, and this is where we are in um, in the United States forty years ago. And I've written six picture books. I never thought I was going to write picture books, but I ended up writing them 
because they get finished faster and I had to two little kids and I used to be an architect and then I stayed home and became a mom and wanted to be creative. So I started writing books and they started getting published. My first book, The Secret Message, is in fifth in it's in fourth grades in America. It's been in the fourth grade textbooks for the past eight years. And I brought the for the the fourth grade textbooks. Oops, domino effect. No, no problem. Thank you. Um, this is the fourth grade textbooks in America, and this is a secret message originally published by Disney. And um, it took me about 10 years to publish my first book. I probably got about 30 rejections before Disney accepted it. So every time I got rejected, I went home and cried, but I also edited and made it better. You, crying is not enough. You just have to do a little bit more. Um, so you edit, 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 and then finally Disney buys it, and then you get a couple of huge checks, and you put it in the textbooks. Um, eight years in textbooks and counting, not bad. 1.2 million kids a year read this book in their textbooks. And um, this is... Um, and every day, uh, we as authors, we get rejected and doors are shut in our face. And I have six picture books since 2010, but I've written about 60. So you can imagine how many rejections we get. You have to be just happy with it <laughs> and go along with anything. Turn out, not turn out, rejection, not rejection. This is what I do. This is my passion. There is nothing else I'd rather do. And there are silent 1.2 million kids every single year for the past eight years. Eight years. That makes about 10 million people. <laughs> um, this one, I have written the screenplay. It is ready. It is edited to death. And hopefully one day we will also have Disney make the book. Uh, I mean, make the movie out of it. Um, so this is um, based on a story by Rumi. And you might have heard of Rumi, uh, who is a Persian poet who lived 700 years ago. And here's the irony or serendipity or the weird moment where I realized that this book was also adapted and written in the fourth grade in Iran. And I remember reading it in my fourth grade textbook <laughs> because it's such a sweet story. I guess for, it's like from fourth grade up, you can understand this, people. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, I went on to write another story um, based on a Rumi story called um, Elephant in the Dark that people are starting to learn about it, I mean, even though, I mean, it takes a while for people to catch on to books. <laughs> that one came out in 2014. And um, The Secret Message was bought by Scholastic. It's re reprinted again, and it's uh, sold at the club level. And Elephant in the Dark is also by Scholastic. And we, I have three of my books with Candlewick Press. The latest is My Grandma and Me. And then I have Goal and Soccer Star, which are both for fantastic for your soccer-loving um, family or friends because it touches uh, lives of kids um, on different parts of the world, Brazil and South Africa. And it not only addresses um, the joys of soccer and the fact that it universally bonds us together, but it also talks about the child labor in Brazil 
and um, the poverty and the bullying and the unsafe streets, um, all the um, and children's issues that they have to face in their countries. Um, so I have a big side of um, social justice in me, and it was cultivated by my dad, who basically made himself to who he is and made his kids to who, who we are. And I break up when I talk about him because he has Alzheimer's now. And every time I show him my grandma and me, he, he goes, oh, this is about my mom. And then he forgets again. So there's, it's funny because five minutes later, I can show him the book and says, oh, this is, you wrote a book about your grandma. So I'm happy he still knows who we are. And he still realizes that's a book about grandma that I wrote, which is um, fantastic. Um, so I don't know. My slant is social justice, love. <laughs> there's so much similarities uh, when we traveled around the world, uh, which was the best gift that money can buy you, when you get money, don't buy the latest shirt or purse or shoe. Go travel, see the world, and see how similar people are to you. I, it's such an eye-opener, opening experience, because when we had to immigrate from Iran, I wasn't lost I could identify with the American culture and I could speak English and I will never leave my heritage and the richness of history and culture that Iran has, but I'm so happy that I can communicate it with people in America. And that's a gift um, that not a lot of immigrants have, but I think we need to work a little bit on that and get out of our own enclaves and hang out with everybody else and learn the language and be appreciative of the country that is hosting us because uh, after all, nobody wants to immigrate. Nobody wants to immigrate. Nobody wants to leave their country. But when we come, you're here, you got to be you got to, it's like going over to someone else's house as a guest. Um, of course, of course, you become a citizen of the United States after a while if you choose to be like I am. But, you know, you got to clean up and after yourself and speak the language and mingle and understand the culture in order to bring up your own kids, in order to be able to um, not only transfer the rich beautiful history and heritage that belongs to the to the world to America and Americans but also learn learn the the pioneer um, vision and the hardworking and the hopefulness of Americans that we have and we're like yeah we can do this oh we're gonna make a country and we're gonna do this and we're gonna build these things and we're gonna go to the moon and we're gonna because we have that spirit you know that's such an American spirit now if you tell that to somebody in Europe they'll say I will do that but right now I have to take my cafe it's the cafe time. And if you say that to someone in Iran, they'll say, I will do that after the tea break. So in America, they'll say, okay, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. Nobody, <laughs> we have ants in our pants and we need to dance. I don't know what's going on with us, but I love that, you know? And it's just kind of like, it just kind of like puts us together. Like, 
you have these, uh, you know, Europeans or Asians. I call myself an Asian because I'm from Asia, the, 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 the continent, Asia. And we all have different attitudes to our lives. And that's a huge generalization, you know. But because I don't know, maybe it's all the past and the history and all the stuff that, all the bad stuff that's happened to us throughout history. We're all like, oh my God, now we have to do this. And then Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan is going to come and kill the whole entire goddamn country. It's like, oh, I mean, he killed millions of people, you know, and completely flattened Persia. And then they came back up again. But, you know, so many things are, or Alexander the Great, you guys call him Alexander the Great in, in, in the West. We call him Alexander, the son of a one of a one, because he, uh, you know, burned, burned everything we had like humongous libraries and uh, everything that was written and 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 just kind of like level the observatories and we have a huge um, history thing about him oh alexander the great took care you know killed all the corrupt persians guess what he did right away he turned around and married a persian lady became persian lived in persia and gave all the administrative work back to the Persians again. Said, I don't know what's going on here. You guys take care of this. I have no idea how to run a state of states. I don't know. I've never been a king before. Sorry. You know, and he basically, the whole culture took over him, but nobody talks about that. Mm -mm, no. Mm -mm. Anyway, this is what we do. Persians, we silently go around and brainwash people into our culture and how gorgeous our everything is and how yummy our food is and how, you know, charismatic our roomie is and um, everything else that we try to lure you into loving us and knowing us. And I think it just comes with time with because we are a little bit of a nation that's that's older than history. And at the end of the day, we've learned the only thing that saves the day is love and loving everyone. Everyone's welcome. And we are overly hospitable in Iran, even now, even now with those wonderful people at the helm. Of course, I'm not going to ever go back, but until they're there, because I just don't want to go back. But um, anyway, let me read from my grandma and me. And, um, you know, wrap it up. All right. Um, there's, if you want to look at the pictures, you want to come closer or you're good over there or whatever. My grandma and me. Oh my God. These pictures by Lindsay Yankee are just, okay. Lindsay is Christian heritage from Kansas. And I am uh, Muslim heritage from Iran. How cool is art? Huh? <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> All right. So this is autobiographical. When I was growing up in Iran, my grandma lived with us. I followed her everywhere. When she swept, I swept. When she cooked, I cooked. When she prayed, I prayed like her too. I will show the at dawn, when she woke up for namaz, I woke up with her too. Praying at dawn is my favorite, she would say with a smile. Mine too, I would say, with a wider smile. <laughs> uh, 
because only the two of us were up at that time and no one was there to stop me, I would climb up and lie on her back while she prayed. My grandma never told me to stop or broke out of her prayers. Instead, she sat up gently each time, making sure that I didn't fall. After her namaz, we kept watch for bread delivery boy for the bread delivery boy. He piled the bread high on his bike like a clever acrobatic act. But my grandma and I had a clever act too. We bought fresh bread every day without leaving our third floor apartment. We sent our baskets down with ropes. The bread boy placed the bread inside and then we hauled them up. My grandma's basket was so big I could fit inside it. I would sit in that basket and pretend to be flying my own plane. My doll played too. Once the bread arrived, my doll, my grandma and I would take some to my friend Annette next door. Like Annette and me, our grandma, our grandmas were best friends. They enjoyed each other's company. Every day, while we played together, they talked, laughed, and drank coffee. Our grandmas knitted blankets together as they watched us play hopscotch in the alley. They donated them to my grandma's mosque and Annette's grandma's church. From the end of the alley, we could see their heads bent over the blankets. Annette's grandma with her silver hair and my grandma in her favorite chador, the white one with small purple flowers. My grandma had all kinds of chadors. She wore them for different occasions. For parties and mosques, she wore a black one made of fancy crepe fabric. It was heavy, soft, and cool to the touch. It looked like a magical cape. My grandma sewed all her own chadors, and I helped. Mostly I helped by draping her chadors on the table to build my rocket ship. Or tying her chador around my neck so I could fly from the moon to planets. I was a super astro explorer. My grandma was always waiting for me back at the base camp with cookies. We ate together while I told her about my space adventures. During the holy month of Ramadan, my grandma did not eat from dawn to dusk. When she woke up to eat, before sunrise, I woke up to eat too. You're too young to fast just yet, she said to me. I ate with my grandma anyway. Then I ate as usual during the day, and after, and after dusk, at iftar time, I ate with her again. One time, 
when I was a little older and finally fasted with her, in the middle of the dark and somber night, I wore the chador she made me and we walked together to the mosque. Inside the lights shone bright and no one was quiet or somber. People laughed and ate and talked until it was time for prayers. My grandma prayed for Annette's grandma. She prayed that Annette's grandma would go to heaven. After prayers, there was tea and milk and dates and sherbet and cookies. In the mosque's kitchen, volunteers cooked rice and stew in giant copper pots. Some ate at the mosque while others took the food home. We filled the dish and on the way home, my grandma left it for a man sleeping on the sidewalk. As we walked away, she said a prayer for the sick and the poor in the world. The next morning when I saw Annette, she whispered a secret to me. Last night at the church, my grandma prayed for your grandma to go to heaven. My eyes widened. My grandma did the same thing at the mosque. Annette and I looked up. Our grandmas were talking and drinking coffee together. I could imagine them knitting and laughing together anywhere on earth, on Mars, or in heaven. In this big universe full of many moons, I have traveled and seen many wonders. But I've never loved anything or anyone the way I loved my grandma. She was kind, generous, and full of love. I still want to be just like her. So that is... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so that's the story of my grandma. And if anybody has any questions, I mean, we have, oh, we have all the back stock. We have the grandma and me here. There's all, they're all for sale. I will probably sign a few and leave at store. You can tell your friends and family to come later. Sundays are hard. People have things to do, places to go. And my, my, my Gmail is minajawaherbin at gmail.com. You can Gmail me. You can send me cusses you can send me happinesses you can send me questions anything you want i'm here <laughs> i take it all yes question yes yeah your daughter from bolivia you want to talk to the mic because are you oh well my my daughter was born here but uh um, after six months, I think my my mother that was helping me had to go see her hus her husband, and she 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 um, um, my uh, you know uh, I, she she took the baby to, yeah. because I had to work. Yeah. So my 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 daughter got very bonded with my with my mother. And uh, she, she, it was hard for her to bond me because I, I went back to Bolivia get her yeah. one year, but she was, you know, still very bonded with her. So they came back when she, 
was three, but they were, she was so attached to grandma that it was yeah. very hard, very hard to unattach. I was also very attached to my grandma, but nothing replaces mom, a mom and a love of mother. And, um, of course, um, it just doubles the fact that, you know, she loves her grandma as much, you know. So, yeah, it's beautiful. We all love our grandmas, don't we? <laughs> Living in different countries, immigration, going back and forth, making a living. Yes, absolutely. We have all um, made many sacrifices. I mean, you had to, you had to live away from your daughter. I mean, to this day, I see immigrants who have to live away from their families, and it's very hard. But and like I said, not nobody wants to immigrate, but we do because of the situations that are built for us, politically, uh, financially. Um, there's just so much going on in the world. And the more we talk about it, the more people who are lucky enough to were born and raised in their own country, in their own city, some even in their own neighborhood. Oh, my God, I'm so jealous of them. <laughs> it's impossible how jealous I am. You know, people go to their high school reunions. I just want to go, oh, I'm so jealous. God knows where all my high school friends are. I mean, you know, rest in peace the ones who were taken by the revolution and the war. Um, but the rest of us are scattered all around the world. And it's, you live with this pain all your life. And sometimes it becomes beautiful books. So, whatever, we, we go on. Right, I think I'm going to give her as a gift because I don't know what to give her as a gift. She's already 50. <laughs> Maybe I'll give her this. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate people buying picture books for their kids that are in their 50s and 40s. But to tell you the truth, I before becoming an, uh, an author, I was an architect. And um, in architecture school, is all I read were, were picture books. I w I'm in love with picture books. Yeah. I mean, right now, if you tell me if I read, the two, the two things that I read um, are picture books and um, and uh, books that are based on, on truths. I mean, uh, autobiographical books, books about nature, books about biographies, books about people's lives. That's what I read. I mean, I used to read a lot more novels, but... <laughs> it's just I'm in love with picture books. <laughs> There's no age for picture books. Go come on and buy them. <laughs> You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon. <laughs>